I'm Young In, and uh, as part of Cornell Chicago Chapter Programs Committee member, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce you to today's event and the panelists. Um, today's program is titled Gen Z is Here, Lessons from the Future from the Next Generation. You're in for the treat today because uh, we prepared two-in-one um, combo meal today. It'll be a mini presentation, and after that, it'll be followed by the panelists' um, uh, panel discussion. So first, we'll start from the short uh, presentation by our moderator, Jessica Jenkins from ThinkLab. As ThinkLab has recently done some insightful research on Gen Z, Jessica will set the stage with ThinkLab's research first um, and, and the findings. And after that, we'll move on to the panel discussion and the Q&A at the end. Um, before you leave today, make sure to fill out the, the Cornet Digital Feedback Survey. You can find the QR code um, at the table. So now let me introduce our Gen Z panelists and their bios. Um, our moderator, Jessica Jenkins, is a data simplification expert at ThinkLab. ThinkLab is a market research firm that specializes on the built environment. Jessica co-led a comprehensive six-month research initiatives around Gen Z, providing insights to organizations tackling the challenges of recruiting, retaining, and connecting their talents and teams across generations and geographies. And we have three Gen Z panelists today. Our first panelist, Jacquise Covington, has a long bio. Um, he only has three years of experience, and he has a lot of bio, long bio. So let me read real quickly. <laughs> He's a successful business professional at JLL, uh, specializing in tenant representation for nearly three years. He also holds past uh, positions as president of JOL, I can't pronounce this word, <laughs> Young Guns, and serves on the Associate Board of Chicago Scholars and the Blue Fight Council of the Urban Land Institute. Jakis is actively involved in various organizations, um, including Metro Board, National Urban League, ACC Collective, REIA, Northern Illinois University COB, Young Alumni Board, and University Club of Chicago. He created the Executive Edge, a monthly LinkedIn newsletter providing strategic office insights for executives around the country. Jacquise is an NIU graduate alumni and a former Division I football player and 2018 MAC champion. And he's currently pursuing an MBA with a focus on real estate, uh, investment, and finance, and, and finance at DePaul University. So Ali Wojcik is an accomplished account executive known for transforming spaces into high-performance environments. She's a recognized leader in innovative workplace design. As a chair of Cornet Young Leaders, she plays a pivotal role in shaping the industry's future by fostering talent and bringing connections between uh, experienced professionals and the emerging generation. And our third panelist is Ethan Barber. Um, during two years of industry experience, Ethan is a junior designer at IA Interior Architects, which is uh, based in um, the firm Chicago's firm Chicago office. He's a recent graduate uh, of the Savannah College of Art and Design, holding a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Interior Design. Ethan's commitment to design excellence and innovative thinking has earned him several accolades, including his role as a Fitwell ambassador and his active participation in ThinkLab events. His passion for creative and thoughtful design solutions is evident in his work in, at IA, where he's quickly established himself as a promising talent in the field. Phew. <laughs> okay, with that, I'll turn it over to our panelists. Um, so let's uh, invite them up to the stage. Hello. So I go through about seven minutes before we get into our full dialogue with our Gen Z panelists. But as my intro said, I'm Jessica Jenkins. I'm with the Think Lab team. We are a research-led strategy firm. And this past year, we spent about six months diving into how can companies recruit, retain, and connect their talent across all generations and across all geographies. So before I kind of set the stage around Gen Z and some of our big highlights of research, I want to kick it off to you all with a quick would-you-rather game. 
So I'm gonna pull up a QR code here in just a second. You also have one on your table that looks like this. It's a little white paper that you can flip over. But this game is meant to be a little bit polarizing. So I wanna set the stage on your personal preference. My first question for you is would you rather stay in the exact same company, the exact same role that you're currently in today, or would you rather switch roles, switch companies every single year for the rest of your career? Now it's meant to be a little challenging to answer. And spoiler alert, we will be asking our panelists the same question, but I want to gauge this audience here of where you're at on this spectrum. So go ahead, pull out your phones. You can scan this QR code. It'll take you right to this question. Just a one quick question poll. And I'll give you guys about a minute to answer this. And then on my laptop, I actually have the, the live results. So I'll pull these up. So we've been testing this all across the US and in Canada to see what folks' results are. And I am curious what this audience says. Okay. So right now we're looking at about a heavy lean towards staying in the same role, so that's good. It shows that this audience is very engaged and content with the role that they're in. But let's give about 30 more seconds, and then we'll dive into why I'm asking this. Okay, so we'll stay here. So about 70% of this audience in this room today said they stay in the exact same role, no movement, same job for the rest of their career. And about 30% said that they would switch roles each year. So I want to focus for a minute on <laughs> the second part of that question, the ones that wanted to switch roles and companies for the rest of their career. Because what we found is traditionally people would say, anyone that has had 10 jobs, 10 experiences is likely not loyal and maybe I don't want them on my team. But a new preference and a new perspective that we're hearing around this is, well, that's awesome. If they have five years and 10 different companies that they've worked for and 10 different experiences and roles, how can I leverage that insight, that experience to better my company? How can I use that diverse perspective to actually propel my company forward? So we're hearing a new conversation around what does this mean around loyalty and what does it mean to switch roles each year? Now I'm gonna get back to that when we talk to our Gen Z panelists, but I want to put that in perspective because loyalty as a conversation is changing. And this has a lot to do with average tenure across the entire US has also changed. The average tenure in the US is around 4.1 years for all generations. That is shockingly low to most people who think that loyalty is still around 10 years to 15 years to 20 years. It's actually 4.1 years. So just thinking about this loyalty in perspective of when we talk to the next generation, what that looks like. So I wanna talk a little bit about why we looked to Gen Z because it's not about Gen Z and Gen Z only. When we looked to ask Gen Z for their perspective on recruiting, retaining, and connecting, it was to look to solve for those challenges that firm leadership at the top 10 interior design giants of design were facing. That this big talent shortage gap is a big concern when you're trying to take on new client work and you're also trying to educate and propel your clients forward in this new hybrid world. So why we looked to Gen Z? Well, number one was because Gen Z will make up 27% of the workforce in about a year. Alongside that, they are also the first digital first generation, meaning they grew up alongside technology. So unlike me, who's a millennial who had technology later in life, the preferences, their brand perceptions, how they make connections and relationships, so we'll get into that with our real Gen Zers and here in a minute, but how they do that is evolving and has changed compared to people that grew up in more of a physical analog world. They also have the power, like millennial generation, to have a positive ripple up effect. So by looking to them for solutions and new fresh ideas, we're also able to harness that to help other generations also propel forward. So we see this a lot with work-life integration. We also see this with digital technology and tools and being able to use those and teach other, other generations on those. And beyond that, something that we're seeing a big wave and shift of is right now there's four generations in the workforce. And what currently is baby boomers and Gen X holding primarily those leadership positions, there's going to be a big wave of baby boomers retiring in the next five to 10 years. And Gen X is simply a smaller cohort of people. And they will not be able to fill those shoes when baby boomers start to retire. And what will be millennials and Gen Z moving into leadership at a much faster rate. So if we are not 
learning and building alongside this next generation, we're likely going to miss the mark. Now, I do want to point out, most generational studies look to generations as stereotypes. I myself as a millennial was definitely labeled many different things like lazy and what else, what else have you. Uh, but we wanted to move away from that because we don't want to just inform leadership about what one generation wants. We want to learn how to successfully connect all four generations in the workforce and what do all four generations really need out of their workplace office, out of culture, and how do we retain talent of all levels. So we turned to Gen Z as prototypes which means we took all the challenges and those questions that we didn't have answers for and said, what would you do to help solve for this? Now, we're gonna get into that a lot today, and I want you to think about this in that lens, is building alongside, not necessarily what they want and what they want only. In doing this, we were able to uncover what we call arrows to our industry's future. So Think Lab's Gen Z research, and there's actually a lot of participants that were part of that research in this room today, so thank you for being here as well. This research is available to you. There's a phenomenal Forbes article that references all of this information. It's about Gen Z's, what they want out of the physical workplace office. Fantastic article around it. But I will show you another way to listen to it as well. But I want to leave you with a couple ahas before we dive into this conversation further with our Gen Zers. The biggest thing that we discovered, and this is why we geek out about data at Think Lab, if you weren't familiar with that, uh, we expected to see a trend line like this, where you see Gen Z at the top being the most extreme in their pre preferences, in their behaviors, in their digital-first eagerness. But what we actually saw in the data, and this is from 2,500 data points, was what we call a boomerang effect, where Gen Z was often more similar to baby boomers and to Gen X in their preferences, and millennials tended to be the most extreme. Now they always say the pendulum often swings, so we are actually seeing that in our data. And I wanna point this out as if we didn't have the conversations, and if we only trusted our assumptions on what we thought, we would definitely be missing the mark on what this next generation wants. So building alongside them will be very important for no matter if you're an individual contributor to your company, if you're building a team, if you're in leadership, or if you're guiding clients on what to do for their workforce, this is definitely about having the dialogue and having the conversation. Now, in our research, we went through five different bucket topics, a little hard probably for all of you to read from where you're sitting, but we went through culture, creativity, relationships, we talked about loyalty and solutions for loyalty, and mentorship. And all of these findings are available to you. I just put this QR code in case you are a podcast listener. This is one of the fastest, I think, easiest ways to dive into all these topics. Host Amanda Schneider, she's the Think Lab's founder and president, goes through all of those topics with industry perspective and then also interviews TEDx speakers, authors, um, and Google X designers to talk about all of those topics for solutions for our industry and your clients. Now, I also want to leave one tidbit before we jump back into our actual panel, but around culture. Because the biggest thing that we heard was it is nearly impossible to build a cohesive culture in hybrid. And when we turned to our Gen Zers, we were curious of what their response to that was. And the biggest aha they had was, hybrid isn't really hard for us. This is all we know. But it's still about connection. Culture is still about connection. Yet how we're building that connection is evolving with more digital tools and digital access to people working globally. And the office is still an important tool for our office culture, but it's only one tool now. It is not the only tool. And I think this was a really big shift, that culture can still be made in hybrid, and the office is one tool in the toolkit, but not the only tool. And now I will turn to our panelists to kind of open up the stage a little bit more around their perspectives, so you don't have to take my word for it. Um, I'm gonna start with just names for each of you, and then I wanna ask you what your answer to that would you rather question is. So the question was, would you rather stay in the same company or switch roles? And I wanna hear your answer and why. So Jacques, I'm gonna start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, so first, sorry for the long bio earlier today. <laughs> um, wanted to impress you guys. Um, my, my answer uh, to that question is I'd rather uh, you know, kind of move around and change work experience for every year for the rest of my life. And the reason why is because it would give me an opportunity to uh, 
um, you know, develop my education in a bunch of different areas, which I think would make me much more valuable. Um, as we kind of sat here and um, talked about it, I started to think about like a quarterback. And a quarterback knows everyone's position on the field uh, just as well as he knows his own. And um, I think that if you could get a quarterback on, if you could get uh, Tom Brady to come and work for your company, I think a lot of people would be really happy about that. So that's my answer. I love that. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady goals, that's good. <laughs> Allie, what about you? What was your answer to that? Hi, I'm Allie Wojcik. I'm an account executive at Henriksen. Um, I'm also the Cornette Young Leader Chair. So any young leaders out there, come to me after. Um, and my answer was definitely changing um, year over year. And that has to do a lot with what uh, Jackie said because of continuously learning. Um, I think that's just so important. I, I've talked to a lot of my peers about this and everyone's always looking to improve themselves. Um, you can't do that if you're staying at the same spot the whole time. Can't do that currently, right? So I, we'll come back to that. Uh, Ethan, what about you? Yeah, I'll round out the answer. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of us can resonate with this. I mean, we're all in this industry for a reason. The idea of doing the same thing every day terrifies me. So I want to be doing something new. I want to be on my feet. I want to be interacting with different people. So changing roles every single year would give me the opportunity to do that, do something new every day. And this is not to say that changing careers is ideal. In our pre-call, Ethan, you made a good point of saying it's scary to say that I would change every year and that, yeah. that's... That's not even necessarily desirable. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think the idea of like never having a consistent goal that you can work towards would be terrifying. Um, but it's also exciting that you could have new opportunities every single year um, was really the way that the, the question was phrased. So that was why I leaned towards the answer that I did. And I'm going to switch us into that, kind of the why behind your answers. Because it wasn't because, oh, I just want to switch and it feels good to switch. It's more about that continuous learning and opportunities. And I think what that tells me is that many companies maybe don't have that path of growth opportunity or that path for you to excel and be the Tom Brady where you have many different skill sets under your hat. So I want to switch this more to that career path question. So how do we build the ideal career path knowing that continuous learning is something that all three panelists are very eager about in their career? And maybe, Allie, we'll start with you on this one. <laughs> yeah, um, I think... Definitely just having, kind of what Jackie was saying with the quarterback, is just having those different roles available. I think a lot of, um, a lot of us have so many different interests and they can change throughout the years. Um, so just identifying, um, having those different opportunities for each individual. You might, you know, really looking forward to grow into a leadership role. Um, and that might change where you feel really comfortable in another role and you want to experience something more in a project management role and just get more education through different aspects. So I think having just different roles and being open to have individuals fill the different roles. Yeah, I would say shifting focus from... I feel like right now in, in our industry, it's really easy to focus on vertical movement of just going up the ladder, um, allowing this possibility for that lateral movement within the company, like Ali was saying, of giving your employees different opportunities to explore different areas of work and explore their, their talent set. You know, maybe when they start, that might not be what they were meant to do. They might have some hidden skill that they've never tried before. And so being able to move around and try all those different positions is really important, especially for, for young people who are still just figuring it out. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're in school and when we're in our young professional stage of life, we're given the advice that those first 10 years of your career are really meant to, uh, you're meant to absorb everything. You're there to learn, get exposure, um, do as much as you possibly can. Uh, and so as long as a company is putting those opportunities in front of you, like you should seize it. You should take as much opportunity to learn as many different things as you can. Yeah, and I would just add to, to what Ethan said. Um, you know, kind of when I first started working at JLL, I, I had no idea what commercial real estate was, and I had to look up the definition of it. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of being exposed to the platform of this size um, and, and seeing all the various different business lines um, kind of motivated me to just, like, learn a little bit about what each uh, business line had to offer. Um, but I think kind of to answer this question, I think that there has to be not only an opportunity to... Um, you know, uh, experience various business lines, but there also has to be transparency in how um, the path looks to get you to that point to where you're a managing director of some department or, or organization or thing of, of that sort. So let's talk a little bit about frequency of that, because if it's not a lateral move that we're all very familiar with of a structure, what does that look like frequency-wise of opportunity? I think it mean a lot of different things. Um, you kind of see in the landscape of 
the Gen Zs is we're creating kind of our own opportunities. So it doesn't have to be so defined where I think a lot of us are comfortable in defining different roles and kind of creating something that we're interested in and going after it. Um, so it doesn't have to be as defined, which is, I think, something that the Gen Z is bringing to the table. So a little less formal and a little more maybe lateral too and not so direct line only. Um, thinking about this, so having career opportunity within the organization is a really big piece of creating loyalty there, but what else would contribute to creating loyalty to a company? I think a lot of it goes back to company culture is, is the biggest, well, it's, it's one half of the puzzle or one half of the pie. Um, you know, company culture is so important. Um, I know that when we talked about Gen Z and loyalty, which is, which is how I met Jessica, I was on that discussion. Um, a big part of it is financial. I mean, the elephant in the room is that compensation is really important um, and showing your employees that you care about them um, and care about their growth. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be that 15% pay bump at the end of every year, whatever number is going around right now. Um, but adding in different forms of compensation from giving someone a day off when they've worked really hard, um, say like, hey, you just completed this huge deliverable. Why don't you take half a Friday off? Or let's go out to lunch. Let's go grab coffee and celebrate. Um, so showing them that you care about them is, is huge huge, but having that company culture is what keeps people coming back to you. I mean, it's why we all go into the office in the first place. There's a huge part of it that is it's all about your values and being really explicit about what your company values are. And if, if everyone's aligned to those company values, that's where that magic happens when you're with your employees and your colleagues. And the other part of it is the purpose and the passion. That's why we all do what we do. I wanted to expand on something you said, Ethan, of just that immediate recognition part, I think is important, where you complete this project, take the day off. I think that goes a lot further these days than at the end of the year where you're having your overall one-on-one um, -on -one with your boss of like, what did you complete? Oh, that's great, here's a bonus. I think that immediate satisfaction, that's one way to do it, is just showing it that the moment of and not waiting to, to tell them. I love the media satisfaction. The number one reason people would leave their companies, according to 2,500 industry respondents, was higher pay. So that is truly a number one reason. People are concerned. Gen Z has spent 10% of their life in an economic downturn. Being paid is definitely a concern of survival. So it's not just about feeling good and a pat on the back, but it's if it can't be pay, what other incentives can there can be offered. Um, thinking about that too in just engagement. So when people are at their companies, you're there for 4.1 years, according to the US tenure, average tenure. What does engagement look like? How can your direct manager or team help build that engagement? What does engagement look, for you, look like for you? Maybe Jacques, do you want to start this one? Yeah, so Ethan uh, touched on culture a moment ago. And as it relates to engagement, I think you have to, you know, in order to build Engagement. I think you have to you have to be in person. I am maybe I'm biased in my belief on this being a tenant representative, but I think you have to have a physical place to um, to experience the connections that you have with people, and and, and not just any old office. Um, but you, you need to have um, there has to be um, amenity spaces where employees can go and spend time outside of the office. So, for example, at the Aon Center, we have a gym on the 70th floor. So. Not only can you work out, but you can also look at the really cool views. And you, there's a bar next to the gym. And so if you want to go after work and, or during lunch and have you know, a drink or something, you can, you can do that. Um, and I think you know, uh, when, you know, when we had this conversation earlier at the table, I, I kind of compared uh, the workplace to like a high school um, in the sense that you, you kind of become, uh, there's rivalries in high school. Um, I'm from Plainfield, and so I was with Plainfield North. We had Plainfield East, and so you kind of become biased to the high school based on the relationships and experiences, work-related and non-work-related, that you have there. And I think that that's what creates the engagement that is going to not only keep your employees for longer than 4.1 years, but it's also going <laughs> to create leaders when you put all this other stuff that we're going to talk about together. Keep that long-term engagement. I love that. Mm -hmm. Some of that's just the connection. Yeah, I think being in person is definitely really important. It's a key part of that puzzle. And making the most of in-person time, like hybrid's not going away. I think that that's something that we can all recognize is that hybrid is a really great thing that makes us all more efficient. You know, when we're in person, making the most of that face-to-face -face time, saving your in-person meetings and that collaboration and communication for when you're in the office and you can be there together, not necessarily going to just be heads down uh, doing documents or, or being in meetings all day or whatnot, but reserving that time as sacred for being with your coworkers and bonding. Um, um, 
I think not only being in person, but making sure that you have a workplace that facilitates that is so important. You know, if your office is 300 cubicles, how are you going to communicate and collaborate with each other? How are you going to build that engagement and build that company culture if you have no place to do it physically? Mm -hmm. You could go to an amenity outside of the space, but making sure that there are places within the office, touchdown zones, collaborative areas, a marketplace for all everyone to come together and chat, um, I think that's such an important part of the puzzle, too. I think I know we're going to talk about this later, too, um, but it helps when you're in person. You want enlarging scope conversation we were having is about mentorship and the need that Gen Z is always looking for that mentor. And sometimes I like to kind of tell some young leaders to find a secret mentor. So, <laughs> you know, when you're at the gym or the bar, <laughs> um, it's easier to like find that mentor who has a similar interests and kind of see them in a different light or even just see them, you know, you can't, if they have a sea of cubicles, you're not gonna be able to run into them at the coffee or bar or, or whatnot. Um, it's just a more of a natural way to create that mentorship. Um, and when you have that natural mentor and not someone that's necessarily assigned, um, I think that also helps create just an overall empowered workplace. Yeah. yeah. I would say another part of that with, you know, bringing the, building those connections from a business perspective, doing that on company time is so important. So if you're going to have these events of like a wind down Wednesday, happy hour at the end of the day, instead of go everyone going to a bar at six o'clock, why don't not just have it at four o'clock? Everyone stand up from their desk, encourage your employees to stand up for their desks and say, hey, that deliverable can wait. It'll be fine if you send that email in the morning. They're probably not at their desk right now anyway. Encourage your employees to go together while they're not sacrificing their own personal lives because we know work-life balance is so important to everyone. People have kids, people have pets. Like do that during company time once a month and I guarantee you people will be a lot more collaborative. I love that suggestion because a big thing, and I'm going to give you all the data stats that we have, but truly 85% said personal relationships within the company are extremely important for my engagement. It was actually supportive coworkers was the number one reason people feel engaged at work, which I think is really different than a lot of people think would be purpose or the work that we do, but truly it's supportive coworkers. So those people at your company are far more important than ever, than ever, really. And I love what you said, though, Ethan. You're like, face-to-face -face time matters, but I don't want to only spend my personal time building that connection. So building in that time, you know, maybe taking that once a month break at 4 o'clock to meet at the gym, have those drinks, or have a company-wide happy hour, it goes a long way for engagement, which some of it's tried and true, which I think that's always, you know, how that pendulum swings. We think that it always has to be these brand-new ideas. And frankly, it's not a new idea, but it's maybe modified to be during office hours and not necessarily after hours. Um, let's go to that face-to-face -face time and relationship conversation a little bit deeper. We mentioned mentorship. So I want to think about um, maybe first understanding that there's four generations in the workforce and understanding that relationships are really important. How do we, you guys think that we could increase and encourage cross-generational communication, collaboration, connection? Allie? <laughs> <laughs> like silent pause, I'm thinking. Um, I think, and I'm trying to recall what we were talking about earlier, um, but I think a lot of it has to go, I always go back to transparency of, you know, if you're talking to someone in an older generation, just being honest, hey, I don't know how to do X, Y, and Z, and that can be reciprocated in both ways. Like, hey, I, I don't know how to open this document, can you show me? Or, vice versa, like, I don't know how to create this document, can you show me? Um, so I think, you know, transparency and just overcoming that um, and not being afraid to, like, be open within the, um, the others in the office, I think, is the first step. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think, um, like, a you know, a second thing just to kind of bridge the gap, bridge the gap between those age groups, I think you have to... Um, I, I, I watched um, like a video from Jocko Willing on Masterclass about leadership, and he talks about you know giving Navy SEALs um, a task that's a little bit a little bit harder than what they maybe might be able to normally handle, um, but then just kind of seeing how they do. Um, and I think you know I think you have to apply that to the workplace as well. So when you you have a junior guy or girl. Um, working with, you know, three other people who are senior to them and you give them a little bit more responsibility than what they expect, not only does it, you know, it puts them in a vulnerable position, but it also gives them an opportunity to shine. Um, and, you know, if they are going to shine, they, they're not going to be able 
nine times out of 10, they're not gonna be able to do it on their own. And so they're gonna start to lean on their seniors. And that's how those genuine relationships are created. Yeah. I think sometimes where the, the, I guess the breakdown in communication happens between different generations is just communication style in general. You know, we all speak English, but it's a different language really between different <laughs> generations. And like as a personal antidote, I remember my first week, one of the junior designers pulled me aside and said, hey, just so you know, this person in leadership uses ellipses at the end of their text messages. Don't be afraid of it, because Gen Zers do not like ellipses. It means <laughs> bad things to us. It's like, dot, like dun, dun, dun when you hear it. And so, like, rest be assured, later that week, I got a text from, from this leader, and they just wanted to check in and see how my first week was going. But she's like, hey, do you have a time to talk, dot, dot, dot? I was like, oh my god, I'm going to get fired. Like, I, I was losing my mind, and then I was like, OK. No, they warned me about this. Like, this is just normal. And it was. It was just, you just wanted to check in and see how I was doing. And so I think transparency and form of communication and communication preference is so important. Like, at the start of a project, saying, hey, I prefer to email rather than text. Or if you have an issue, just call me. Like, establishing those methods of communication right at the start of it so that everyone's on the same page and there's not that miscommunication via text is so helpful. And I, and I just want to add to that. Like, this is, again, like one of my concerns with remote policies because when you have people that are communicating over email or Teams, there's no way to really interpret the tone of that message. And so you've got Ethan who thinks he's getting fired. <laughs> and then you have, you know, the other person on the other side that's like, no, I just want to talk. So I think that's important. Mm -hmm. So all about newly documented social norms in some ways, but some of this goes down to like truly what are we using? Any successful tips that you guys have seen from your teams? Just, I would say again, like establishing it at the start of a project, when we, when we all get together as a team and it's a new team, especially when you're working with new team members for the first time saying, we're all going to take notes in this place, we're mm -hmm. going to communicate via these channels, whether that's a team, like group text or uh, email chain, whatever, you may, whatever it may be, establishing that from the start and then being consistent with it and speaking up if it's not working, like, hey, this really does not work for me, I can't follow it, I don't know where anything is. Like, let, being, being okay to admit that is so important. Mm -hmm. I think going off of that, within our industry, we all know that you may not just be working internally with your company or working with other companies, like working with IA, like how they work might be different than from how somebody else might work. So just identifying that too. And I, I think that's why it's important to come out and do these events and make those other connections um, specific to our industry so that, you know, you're on the project together, you can pick up the phone. Hey, you know, you sent me some weird message. I can't open it. Do you mind if we just keep it to email? Um, just making sure that, you know, the, the lines of communication throughout everyone's companies is clear. Yeah, clarity is kind, and also people still want to do business with people, so making it as human as possible, but asking the questions and maybe taking out some assumptions of what tools we should be using when there are such a plethora of tools of communication. I think one person mentioned they can communicate with their friend on 16 different channels at one time, whether that's Instagram, Slack, Teams, and just what channel should we be focusing on is a conversation to have, which is a very easy first step. Um, thinking about not just communication tools, but active listening, and you mentioned this a little bit, Ali, of like psychological safety of can I ask this maybe quote unquote dumb question and feel safe asking for that help? So I wanna talk about cultivating a culture of active listening and maybe some measures that can be put into place for your teams to feel heard, to feel listened to without, you know, committee in decision, decision in decision, right? Not just committee team member-ish stuff, but more of how do we create active listening and a psychologically safe environment? I think it goes back to the mentorship. It's, you know, once you have that mentor and it's like more encouraging to speak up and say what you're thinking, um, it's more encouraging to have that familiar face in a room or at that table. Um, and it's like having those personal relationships um, but yeah, the act of learning, I think it goes both ways too. I think we were talking about that, how, um, you know, Gen Zers were always trying to listen and grow and um, communicate. It might be different. Um, but also having that flip the switch and having others like really listen to us and how we communicate and might learn from, from the other generations. I think treating in-person time as sacred is so important. So when you're going into the office and you're being consistent with what days you're in the office, that's such an important part, too, of being, being reliably in the same place at the same time. Um, but knowing that those are the days that if you need something, you can come talk to me about it, and my phone's not going to be up, 
I'm not going to be multitasking during our conversation. It's really going to be a face-to-face -face communication, and my attention is on you during that time, um, and reserving the, those conversations and those connections for when we're in the office together is such a huge part of it because, you know, body language is like 80% of communication. So being able to see someone when you're talking to them or even if you have to have an important discussion, make sure your camera's on, um, do that sort of thing to be able to see the other person because that's such, a, such an important part of how we talk to one another. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I would agree with everything that they said and I guess maybe the only thing that I would add is, you know, there's a quote that I like to live by and it's the more you know, the more you see. And so when you have, um, as Ali mentioned, when you have the mentorship in place, you can kind of ask those questions to those people that you might have been embarrassed to ask maybe your senior, and they can respond to you um, in whatever way that, that they see fit and, and, and equip you with the tools to, to go back and, um, you know, respond to whatever that situation is that you're dealing with. Do each of you have a mentor? I have, uh, I have like, I don't know if I would call them mentors. They're like undefined mentors. Undefined. Yeah, undefined. They don't know they're my mentors, but they're <laughs> Do that. They're just secret mentors. Be they don't have to know. Yeah, they don't have to know. I like that. Secret mentor. Yeah. I saw you nod your head, Ethan. What about you, Allie? Yes. Formal, informal? Uh, I have several. There's some that um, IA does a really great job of, of establishing more formal mentor paths. So um, there's two different programs that we have. One that's company-wide across the whole firm. So I have one mentor from that. One just in the Chicago studio. I have some more informal ones. And I think having someone that's outside of your office is such an important part, too. Someone that you can go to confidentially to talk about um, any issues that you're having or questions. And like, is this normal? Is it normal to have this experience or for someone to react this way? Mm -hmm. um, so having someone outside of your, even outside of your industry, is really important as well. Mm -hmm. And one thing with that, I, I talk to a lot of other people throughout the industry, young leaders, and a lot of people do feel lost. They really, the mentorship, they are like, I'm in this role and my mentor sits in Minnesota and I don't know what I'm doing. This project's actually going south and I actually do not know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's scary. Um, and so really having that, those people within your organization and then again, outside your organization is so important. Yeah, and just to like add to that, we talked about this earlier too. Like that's the thing I think with sometimes people try to just assign mentors to people and it doesn't really work that way. Um, every shoe doesn't necessarily fit. And so I think, again, not to beat on a, uh, like on a dead horse, but I think you do have to have that in-office um, uh, participation so that people can go out and actually select their mentors, even if those guys don't know that they are that person's <laughs> mentor. So yeah. I love that, the unofficial mentor. And that's a great point. So we're going to come to the office por portion of this conversation because... What we've heard a lot of is Gen Z, especially being a digital first generation, you've learned how to YouTube something at, what, four, five? I don't know what the age would be. But many technical skills, people want to be able to self-serve. Like, I want to be able to digitally find that answer for myself. But when it comes to softer skills, project questions, relationships, I really want to mentor, maybe formal, informal, or unofficial, official. Um, so let's think about that office as that maybe connection piece of this conversation. And I love thinking about we went from remote during the pandemic to a hybrid. I would say 75% of companies are still in a hybrid in our industry. Gallup says about 59% outside of our industry or in the U.S. alone are, about on, are on a hybrid spectrum, excuse me. Um, but how do companies kind of go back to office? How do you earn someone's commute when they have successfully worked maybe at home a few days a week or maybe full remote at a time? I'm happy to start with this one. I, this is the one that I've been looking forward to. Um, I, think, uh, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of things that go into earning your employees' commute. I think, you know, number one, I think there's a few things. So number one, you have to understand, you know, where your workforce is coming from. And that's the majority of the people that are actually in the office, um, I guess, in this hybrid sense, three days a week. Um, in addition to that, you, you know, you, you also need to... Um, understand where you guys are going to be located um, as it relates to uh, public transportation opportunities. So it's easy to get to your office. Um, and in addition to that, you also need to be in and around, um, uh, you know, restaurants, uh, residential places, bars, uh, gyms, whatever, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever else people are into these days. Um, and then in addition to that, like, I think you have to have, like, a pretty nice office. There's a ton of different types. There's, you know, the, there's the, uh, the brick and timber loft offices that you have in River North and even in Fulton Market. And then there's the, the high rises that you have on Wacker, Central Loop, East Loop, 
man, not really South Loop yet, but we're getting there. Um, and, 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 and again, this kind of goes back to everything that I've said. You kind of have to, with all of that, you kind of have to, um, you know, uh, uh, lean on it or leverage it to kind of create that, uh, that, that culture and that atmosphere for your uh, employees to kind of build those relationships, seek out those mentors, and collaborate on a different level, even if it's only two or three days per week. I think that's what the amenities you were discussing, like such an important part of it. Because when we think about it, for the past three years, we've all been working from home, right? I mean, my gym is 10 minutes down the street. My favorite coffee shop is around the block. So I already have all of those things within arm's reach of my apartment. But what I don't have is the, co- the culture. I don't have my colleagues, my friends, my team. That's all going to be in the office. And so establishing that company culture is such a vital part about getting people to come into the office. And um, we discussed this in our, in our like setup call about the, the topic of culture versus policy. Policy. You know, mandating people to come into the office might not be the most successful way to do it because if they don't want to be there, they're not going to be happy there, which means they're not going to be productive. So you have to have an office environment that people want to come to. They want to be with their colleagues and their teammates. And then not only that, but the setting of the office that, um, that encourages that, encourages that collaboration and that communication. Mm-hmm. No, and then during the call, too, I, um, I mentioned I have two friends, like, completely outside of our industry, and they completely changed jobs because they want to be in person. Not fully time, but they were like, I live alone. I want to be in the office. I want to be around that. So they were interviewing places that had that in-person policy. But when they were interviewing, they were looking to see what their culture was like. So um, I I really do think it's a true testament of the policy and culture. Yeah, that place is so important. And then like you were saying too, those amenities now are more important now than they were ever because we've gotten so used to having them. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a vital part of it. And like what I would love to see, especially in the downtown areas, you know, my favorite coffee shop, like I said, is this mom and pop place around the corner from me. And I would quite frankly rather go there before work and bring it into the office. So I would love to see, you know, in, in, in this more corporate setting, bringing in those local small businesses to support the local economy and, yeah. and uh, bring in those mom and pop shops where you get the, the quality stuff. Yeah, I mean, this this all, like, supports, you know, what we've been seeing at JLL, which is a flight to quality. Um, a majority of the leases executed in 2023 and you could even say 2022 are in trophy and class A buildings. So there's a, there's been the big move to Fulton Market. You know, you've seen a lot of people move in along Wacker, I guess on that, I guess on that, um, that's technically the um, west, I think that's the west side, because uh, that's West Loop. And then uh, you're even seeing it in River North. And so um, I guess there's only one small thing that I would disagree with Ethan on, and it's just that Ethan's comment was that you can't necessarily force people to go into the office. Um, we did it in 2019, and people were going to the office, and I think I, I do think you kind of have to, even though it may, even though they may not want to be there, I do think that organizations have to kind of band together. And so if you look at like Amazon, Meta, and some of these other larger organizations that are just putting their foot down and saying, hey, you guys are going to be here. Um, and, and, and they're not saying you're going to like it, but you know, if you look at, <laughs> if you, if you look at their, if you look at their offices, they have the environment that would foster, um, you know, th- those organic relationships to take place that are going to incur- that are going to make someone want to go into the office. Okay, so, so I love this because it's about to get juicy because I completely agree and this is where everyone's getting so excited. Like, thank God for Gen Z. They want to come back to the office. This is great. But as our resident millennial on the stage, I will say, what about the people in the life phase that might have children that coming back to the office every day is quite a challenge or actually imp- kind of impedes on their maybe quality of life as well. So not to say we can't mandate, so I want to get into that culture versus policy question, but I also want to talk about, um, oh gosh, now I just blanked, but I just want to talk about the real value and purpose of that office space because for right now, maybe the life phase that you're in, connection is everything. Is that true for all generations and how do we foster that? Yeah, I think that going back to this idea of earning your commute, because there was a Business Insider article that came out last week talking about how on average hybrid workers spend $51 a day to come into the office. So truly it is earning the commute from a financial perspective and not to mention people who have kids or who have pets. Work-life balance is an important part of this. And so I think we can all recognize the value of in-person work. That's why we do what we do, why we're in this industry. The office is important. 
What's also important is productivity. And so there's a way to be productive inside the office when it comes to communication and collaboration. But you know, when you're filling, answering emails, filling out paperwork, that doesn't necessarily need to be done at your desk. You could do that at home where you have your family and have your kids um, and making the most of that time. Like I know I was working from home today and I was able to be online earlier because I didn't have to commute in. Uh, so there was a, a statistic that came out during the pandemic that for some industries, people were 13% more effective working from home. And so I think companies have to be really smart about when they want people to be in the office and when they want to be at home. And then, like I said earlier, making that in-person time sacred so that you're being productive with the tasks that are appropriate to be productive in the office. So it's about seeing and being seen, or maybe less of that, right? What is your true culture and what is the purpose for your company specifically for your space? And what do you really value there? And that's, I think, when the culture piece maybe sometimes even trumps policy or policy just needs to align with your culture piece. Yeah. I think if your culture is strong enough, I, people are going to want to be in anyway. You might not have to mandate that they're in five days a week. I mean, we uh, at, at our firm, we're mandated in three days a week. We have two anchor days. So the whole studio comes in on a Monday, start the week together. And then uh, by discipline, it's broken out the rest of the week. So all designers go in on Wednesdays. But I'm typically in four days a week, usually. Um, part of that is because it's what we do. We need to be in person for it. But the other part of it is that... Um, as designers, our work is so collaborative, and so it's important to be, be with each other and, and then communicate in that way. And so I think if your company culture is strong enough, then people are going to want to be in regardless of what the policy is. Something that came up on our prep call, too, was, and we see, saw this in the research, that Gen Z is like, I'm willing to come in, but then you have mid-level management and people that have been in the company maybe 10 to 15 years that are like, I don't need to come in because I don't necessarily need the mentorship. Any ways to solve for that? I, I just think that that has to be, I mean, like, they, they, they have to be there. The, you know, you cannot, I mean, the, se the, the senior employees um, probably, unfortunately, just don't have the time span to, to, to mentor. And so I think that you kind of have to mandate the middle-level employees to come in because they are just as, as they, they are part, they're part of the culture. They're a part of what's going to, uh, you know, keep the company running, um, you have drop-offs in productivity, I'm sure. There's some study out there related to this. Um, if you don't uh, have these people engaged actively and consistently um, in the office. Anything that's been successful for your companies or clients that you've worked with? Well, as a, as a company that, well, as a company and in a business line that specifically services office, we're required to go to the office every <laughs> single day. So, you know, they see me five days a week. I see them. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with things right now at work where it's like, you know, there are senior people, there are middle, you know, the middle group. And then there's the, the, the guys that are just out of college. And, you know, I'm leaning on the, these middle people and they're helping me navigate these situations successfully. They're, ask, they're, they're answering their phones at night at 8 p.m. when I'm calling them because I'm still reading through a lease and I'm like, what does this mean? <laughs> so I just, I think that's super important. And if we were not in the office, I would not be where I am today. I would not understand the things that I do. And there would be a lot of people that have office leases that just wouldn't be completed right now. So... <laughs> Those anchor days have been really successful for us. I mean, part of the the, the challenge for hybrid work is that um, you don't know where people are all the time. You know, if, if you are wanting to talk to someone in person and they're at home that day, you're kind of out of luck. Um, so having a day that's consistent where all the designers are in on Wednesday, and we all sit together, too. We have a, a block of desks. And so I know that I can tap on my mentor's shoulder and say, hey, can you look at this real quick? Or can I look over your shoulder while you're marking up this test fit? Um, and it, it, that is a mandated day. So to, to your point, th those people are required to be in on those days. And for, for our flex days, um, we're, we're trying to be better about marking on our calendars when we're going to be in the office and when we're going to be working from home so someone knows that I, I'm going to be there if they have a question for me and vice versa. Setting clear ground rules. Yes. I think it goes back to that communication, right? It's all about resetting and setting your ground rules so everyone knows what is being seen and, and seeing what does that mean for our company? And I love that you said, I've only been in this part of my career because I was able to build relationships and being seen. I think that's still so true. All those relationships are so important. And I think clarity for your employees is so helpful to know what does success look like at this company and what do I need to do to get there? And Allie, anything you want to add? Sorry, sorry, Jackie. Oh, no, you're fine. I was just, uh, I was thinking when Jackie's case was talking about um, that middle management role necessarily isn't that as a friend in our company, but I kind of see 
as one of my like secret mentors, I'm always like looking and I'm like, well, how did they do it? Like back, you know, five years ago or whatever it was. <laughs> and I'll ask them, I'm like, well, how did you manage this situation, um, personal or professional? Um, just navigating those, those lines. Um, and I think that having those connections I think it just goes back to mentorship with mm-hmm. those middle management and just making sure you asking, you know, engaging with them. I think it's all about engagement. Awesome. I have one last question before we open up for questions. So my last question for each of you is one piece of advice you would give to our audience when thinking about their culture and their office space and the consistency between the two. Ethan, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. Um, I don't want to sound like a broken record and talk about company culture again, because I, I could talk <laughs> about that for hours. Um, but I think the, the, the most important thing is, um, you know, when we, you set this up really well, you teed this up earlier. When we all come in a room together to talk about Gen Z's view on the workplace, I feel like those opinions and these ideas and these discussions have a tendency to stay in the bubble of the context of Gen Z, of this isn't really just for, you know, the 23-year-olds in the office. I think a, a strong work-life balance, great company culture, a great office space, great amenities, those benefit everyone from your your 20-year-old intern to the C-suite. Like, it is really meant for everyone here. Um, And I think that these ideas about how we can make a more productive workforce are something that we should all take home and think about how it could benefit ourselves personally. I love that. Ripple up. Yeah, ripple up. I think in bullet points. So <laughs> I'm like, what are the three terms you can take away? And I'm like, my, my number one thing was transparency. I, I, that's a big conversation I'm having um, with others um, in, the, um, the, in the industry right now is transparency. Um, and then mentorship. I, I, within the young, the young leaders of Cornet, a lot of people <clears throat> I've hosted events about, for mentorship, and a lot of people are, I seem to be like wanting it more and more, and they're realizing that they actually need it and want it. Um, I feel like that was two pretty large overarching themes of our discussion. Um, so I think those, I'll, say, I'll stick with those too. Love it. Yeah, and I, I think in bullet points too, and honestly, I think it makes it harder to like think about things and really get them out. But I think there's like two main things. I think, you know, I think I've been pretty consistent in um, mentioning that, you know, you have to have this the office that's going to facilitate uh, the collaboration uh, of your employees work-related and unwork-related. And then I think the second thing is having the technology in place or maybe just the communication that's going to make you aware of when your mandated middle group of people are going to be in the office so that when those younger people need to come in, they know that so-and-so is going to be there to help them out. Um, I think I think that's, like, really, really important. Um, and Allie mentioned something earlier, too, about just being able to ask the question of, like, how did you get from here to there? And I think that's extremely important because Gen Z, Gen Zers, there's this whole thing out right now. If, you, if any of you guys are on TikTok, it's called hustle culture. And a lot of us, like Gen Zers, like we really do want to work hard. We want to do the work, but a lot of us don't know where to start. Mm. We can't, we can't do that sitting at a desk in the dark at home. Connect us to people. Yeah, is a big part of it. Yeah. Great. Yep. Cool. Well, we're going to open it up to questions, and Young has the microphone, so I see one hand raised back here. Yeah, before we go to the questions, so make sure you uh, fill out the Cornet survey about today's event while, while we're coming up with the questions. So I had a question for you all. Uh, something that Jessica said really sparked a thought for me around how there's different value being placed on people that have been in different jobs and different roles over a you know, shorter period of time. And traditionally, right, you have lots of leaders that are in a role for 10, 15, 20 years in some kind of specialty. They've done this job or this field, you know, for a long time, and then they're given a leadership role. So I was thinking about you all in terms of how that's going to change. What do you value in a leader? Do you Mm. want to learn from a specialist? Do you want to learn from someone that's done that exact thing for a long period of time? Or do you value kind of that renaissance utility player generalist kind of a leader. Uh, just curious what you guys, what you guys Great think. Great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I think if you really want to build some significant and uh, significant level of expertise in a field, I would rather learn from someone who has been in that space for 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I think we would definitely go to the expert. Um, the renaissance. I mean, I'm sure the experience, I think, is always going to overarch that all 
overarch them. Yeah, I think the idea with the, the bouncing around so much is like during your early career, you're really making the most of everything and you're learning as much as you can, which makes you a more um, better asset to your company uh, when you're in that middle position. But hopefully by the time that you've hit that, that mid-level mid position, you've hit your stride, you've found what you're passionate about, and then you start developing those skills. And so I find myself going to, to leaders in those particular areas. Like if I, if I want technical help, I'm going to a technical director for it. Yeah, I also will say too is that you, you can... We can get the expert, and then we can ask them questions, and it might engage them to rethink maybe some of how they get from A to B. Um, and it, this goes back to that, like, transparency, learning from each other um, and pushing each other to just be better. Great. Hi. Follow-up question to that, which harkens back to the very first question that you answered. So you all equally said you'd rather switch jobs every year to get new experiences. But your answer was very strong. You want to go to the person who's the expert in their one individual point for technical, for whatever it might be. There's a little bit of a dichotomy there of what you want to do, but what you want from someone else. So can you expand on that separation? I think that goes back to just the stage of life that we're all in. Yeah. You know, we're starting off and, and we're, we're trying to absorb as much as we can right now. Um, and hopefully by the time that I'm, I'm 10, 15 years into the industry, I'll have found that thing that I'm really passionate about. And then that's, what, that's gonna be the thing that I, that I focus on for the rest of my career. And those are the people that I gravitate towards. Like my, one of my mentors didn't even start in interior design. And she's bounced around a lot um, and is now a senior strategist at our company. Um, and she's worn a ton of different hats during her tenure, um, but she really found her stride and, and, and her recent like five to 10 years of what she is passionate about doing and what she knows that she's good at. Um, and so that's who I'm coming to for advice in that, in that question. Mm -hmm. I think it just goes back to like when you're, you know, in your 20s, you're just, you're just wanting to gain as much experience as possible. And you're just a sponge trying to like learn everything. Um, I think that's just about being young. And, but yeah, like having someone has, you know, that expertise, you're going to gravitate towards them just to learn and grow. Um, so maybe ask us again in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I think what's interesting just about that is it, expertise, what's the time? You know, we're saying that it has to be, you have to be 15 years to say that you're an expert. And is that true? Probably not. Because Ethan, yeah. to your point, you said this one person has worn many hats and then now they're an expert in what they're doing. So it's kind of, I liked that your question because it's, it, you are seeing both sides of it of what, what it will create a great leader tomorrow is part of what you're building out today. Yeah, um, I will say... While this group was heavily in the stay, that is not what we've seen across the board in the, U in the U.S. It's been around 50-50. And actually, we've had more baby boomers usually say switch because they're looking to grow and try new things. So while we think it's only the next generation, it's been interesting to see in data. I wouldn't say it's only Gen Z that feels strongly about switching um, roles each year. Yeah, I mean, I just say for myself personally, I think my answer is maybe a little different than theirs. Um, for me, I... I would not want to seek advice from someone or mentorship um, that I wouldn't want to trade places with. And so I think, like, in that regard, I'd rather go to the person um, who's been doing it for 15 or 20 years because they're going to have a much richer, I mean, it depends on who you ask, but in my opinion, a much richer understanding of that industry. And, like, I would want to go to the best, and I'd bring it back to the whole Tom Brady situation. I would go to Tom Brady to ask him, <laughs> how do you be, how do, I, how do I win a Super Bowl? But I... You know, like, you know, but, like, I'm not going to ask. Tom Brady could probably tell me a ton about being a corner, but Tom Brady can't tell me how to be a corner like Charles Woodson could or something or, or prime time or something. So He's an expert in his field. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Let's pass it over. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. All right. I'll go ahead. I'm Jake Schubeck. I'm also a Gen Zers, and I did <laughs> How would you, yeah, how would you advise a younger Gen Zer or someone new into the industry on how yeah. to switch roles? There's a lot of roles out there. <laughs> so it is intimidating. Um, I, I, it goes back to like community, of like who you surround yourself with. 
asking asking questions, um, asking how they got there, I think is huge. I always, um, we host a young leader net, uh, mentor event and we try to get people not who are like CEOs of companies, we try to get people who are, you know, maybe five or 10 years older than us because it's more achievable, more attainable and asking them how they got there and what their route was. Um, I, that's how I encourage people to kind of navigate that. And I'd second everything she said. I think you, I think, you know, if you're going to make a move, I don't think you should just make a move on a whim. I think like, cause when I went in, when I went to JLL, I knew I wanted to learn more about commercial real estate. I just didn't know that it was called commercial real estate. And um, I think you have to know that you are actually interested in that space and maybe you even need to know a little bit about it before you just dive in and know what it looks like. What does the day-to-day look like? To Ali's point, how does someone how does someone get there? Um, and so I think you should gather all of that maybe before you decide to make a jump. Yeah. I would say um, don't be afraid to stay somewhere for a little bit or stay in that same, same role. And I think when we're talking about switching roles, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to switch companies. You could be doing a different role within the same company. Um, and as long as you are especially in this early stage, you're getting constant education and constant exposure and proper compensation for your work. Like it's, it's fine to stay there as long as you want to. Um, but I think once one of those three starts to starts to trickle off, that's where you start to look at the, at the opportunities around you and then making sure that you're seizing those opportunities when they come up, um, whether that's making a lateral move within the same company or switching to another company that could teach you something else. So knowing the timing of it, I think, is, is, is important. Well, I love that you hit on it. It's not about switching companies for switching companies. It's more about that growth within an organization is the ideal situation. Mm-hmm. Hi. Um, just a general question. Do you think the companies that hire us and the companies that pay us are better off today than, let's say, before the pandemic in 2019? Just a general question from a company perspective from an employer perspective. How many of you worked in the office before 2019 or before 2020? Okay, two. (laughs) Ethan, what are your thoughts? (laughs) I mean, it's cool. Uh, So it was about compensation? Is it really just productivity or? I would say I'm the outs, I'm the black sheep of this group because I worked in retail during 2019. I was I was still in school. I was not um, working a, a corporate job just yet. Um, but my perception of the job market is that it is now um, post COVID is a much more talent centric job market than it is executive centric. Um, and this the, the market is more set up for um, paying attention to us and what we're doing and what our needs are rather than the needs of the the corporate establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for better or for worse, from, from the perspective of the question being from the executive perspective, it might not be as popular for us voicing our, our wants and our needs and our ideas about how we could have a, pro, uh, a productive future and what we think the, this workforce could turn into. Um, but I think that it goes back to what we were saying earlier, you know, when we're talking about, especially about like hybrid compensation, all those things, if your employees are happy, they're going to work harder. They're going to work more. Company is going to benefit more. And I think um, certain parts of the stock market reflect that right now. And I was just trying to think back to, like, what it was. I mean, I, it was only, like, two years before. So right out of college, I got hired as, as a class. So there was 18 of us at a corporation. And now I think back to those 18, there's probably five of us still even in the industry. I think two of those still at the company. So – and. I, and I'm just trying to think in generalities of like other other companies do that who have hired you know mass students out of college, putting that investment into that. Um, you know, out of college you don't make so that much. I was living in Iowa, so even less. And <laughs> um, and so I think that might be different. I don't know if there's mass hiring um, as there was back then. Is yeah. he going back to talent because you know out of college, you may not have the best talent, so. Yeah, and I would just add, Ethan mentioned something that was, that kind of like made a light bulb go off for me. Um, There was certainly a power shift during the pandemic where it became employees could kind of dictate what's going to happen. 
and uh, uh, the executives kind of just had to listen. I do not think that that is what it is anymore. Uh, we had a soft recession earlier this year. Uh, we came off of the pandemic, uh, which affected us, you know, obviously in a ton of different ways. And I just think that, uh, and in addition to that, and uh, maybe you have some findings to support this, but to my understanding and what I'm reading, uh, remote job listings are actually down. And so I think the power shift has actually shifted back into the employer's hand. Not to mention inflation is up, and so the cost of everything is a, is a lot more expensive. And so um, I think, you know, even from a productivity standpoint as well, I think, you know, looking at, you know, 2019, for me, I had just graduated school, and I was, uh, you know, making a 45-minute commu commute to Hyde Park. And it was... I hated it, but it was that was the norm, and that's mm -hmm. what I did. Um, you know, d during the pandemic, I think I worked from home for one week, and uh, that was it. And I was back into the office. I personally hated it, um, but I just, you know, I think, you know, how an executive, I, I could understand how an executive would look at it in talking to my clients who have uh, demonstrated some of their frustration with the offset and productivity from working from home. Um, there's so many things that we've covered today that just... Yeah. It's a, that's a really hard question, because I think the reality is, is it uncomfortable? Are we going through a process of a huge global pandemic that shifted everything that we knew, and we're now kind of still figuring that out? I think what we see overall is a lot of pressure goes on to the mid-level manager to make mandates for their companies and their policies, and I think that will likely have to switch back to maybe formal leadership having to take some of those policies and culture and rein it in to some extent, because I think there's a lot of pressure on mid-level management to solve this big issue for their own company. And I think that is going to feel like a tighter squeeze because right now, those are the folks that don't necessarily, they have the biggest workload typically. They're also asked to manage more people. And then they're also now asked to have the company policy under their wing, which creates a lot of pressure on one level of talent, which is our biggest like gap in all industries. So I think, it, I wouldn't say it's better, I would say we're navigating. And I think the companies that can get their people, talent, HR resources aligned with their leadership teams and aligned with their physical space and real estate teams, I think the stronger they'll be. Because I think that has to be in complete alignment so that the culture feels very consistent and very um, uh, intentional and not just let's just mandate something and then see how that works out and then mandate something else and ask people to keep switching. I think that's what creates so much tension and, and reduces productivity overall. We'll see this in a year, what, what our answers are for this in a year. In 10 years, we'll find out how many jobs they switched over. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, any other questions? We're over time, so. No, this was it. Thank you all so much, and thank you so much to our panelists. Definitely. I'm in a, um, a leadership role today. I am Gen X, and I have every confidence in Gen Z. Chakise, Ali, Ethan, thank you so much for being on the panel. Jess from Think Lab, thank fantastic, you. amazing. And uh, for members out here, we're going to support Think Lab through surveys as they build out their survey. I'm asking everybody who gets the help do a Think Lab response in a survey to please answer that and help inform all the data that they're pulling together. Around um, decision and decision and the process, the project process for our industry. So a really, really interesting one looking at where the bottlenecks are and how do we mitigate risk and help speed up that process. So definitely take the take the survey. We'd love to see your responses. Thank you. Thank you.